confess the Lord God on every occasion. And as we mentioned at the last topic, it is a great practice to learn to praise and thank God from early on for everything. To learn to thank God from the years of youth. We need to thank God in our morning and evening prayers about the opportunity that he provides us to hear his word, the orthodox, the true word of God, which is often hard to find in this country. I'm afraid that many of us forget to do this. I'm afraid that we take this for granted. We shouldn't take things for granted. Things can change very quickly. Let's not forget to thank God for our spiritual fathers, our Orthodox teachers, our Orthodox Sunday school teachers or catechists, and let's not forget to thank God himself. God rebukes his people through prophet Amos. I will give you hunger, he says, not hunger for bread, but hunger for the word of God. The word of God will not be heard anywhere. By the way, heretical sources, false prophets, humanistic Christian thinkers do not proclaim the word of God, but the pseudo-gospel of the false prophet, the forerunner of the Antichrist. For dozens of years, the books and the writings of the church fathers were collecting dust in our orthodox seminaries. Western thought lauded our teachings and our leaders in this land were using non-orthodox sources to teach our students, seminarians, and future priests. By God's grace, today we have a great deal of orthodox priests, monks, and lay people who are discovering the pure waters of the orthodox fathers. We need to thank God always for this remnant. St. Paul once again writes to the Thessalonians, for this we thank God incessantly. Again, we see here the need for the constant doxology of God. The truth is that no matter how many praises, how many hymns, how many doxologies we offer, we will never be able to thank God enough. God has done so much for us already, and there's so much waiting for us, things that are prepared for us, unutterable things, unthinkable, unimaginable things, all these things that God has prepared for those who love him. This is precisely why the psalmist says, what can we give in return to the Lord for, for everything that he has given us? How can we thank God enough? St. Paul writes something similar to this. And uh, he says, with what thanksgiving we can possibly pay God back? There is no way to thank God enough for what he has done for us, for all of us. However, that is all our Lord wants. A thankful heart, a simple thank you from the heart, a praise from our lips. Glory be to God. Vox at the fill. Let's all be reminded of the one leper who came back to thank Christ. The Lord told him, give glory to God. And he asked with a little bit of grief, where are the other nine? 
with sadness. Didn't they all become healed? Where are the, the other nine? Why aren't they glorifying God? By the way, the main purpose of the holy angels is the constant, incessant doxology of God. This is their main task. Let's pay attention to this. This will be the main task of all those that happen to enter the kingdom of God. If you would happen to ask, what would we be doing in the kingdom of God? What kind of activity? Work? We will not need to work as we know work to be. What then? Two things. The teoria, or the seeing, the contemplation of the face of Christ, the actual scene of the face of Christ. And the other is the doxology of God. And as we understand things now, we may think, and what is so exciting about that? You mean that's all we will be doing? That's all we have to do century after century, ad infinitum, millennium after millennium? Wouldn't we be bored? No, we will not be bored. Let's try to make it there, and we will certainly not be bored. Looking at the person of Christ, a knowledge, a new knowledge, will be unfolding in front of us. Something more will be revealed to us about God, and this great new knowledge will keep us in a state of surprise or ecstasy. Something similar happens with the holy angels. As they discover this knowledge of God, they become ecstatic. And they are moved towards glorification of God. When the doxology stops, uh, this repeats itself over and over again. And we see hints of this in the book of the Revelation when the holy angels are singing, holy, holy, holy are thou our God, and so on. When this doxology comes to an end, then a new knowledge of God unfolds in front of them, and the entire holy drama is repeated over and over again, as we said. Doxology, new knowledge, more ecstasy, more doxology, new knowledge, more ecstasy, more doxology. A constant state of heavenly bliss, amazement, and wonder. Naturally, we cannot understand these things fully in the dimensions of time and place that we live in. We pray that God finds us worthy to experience these things someday. Let's not forget, however, that even in this present life, our main task is the doxology of God. As we mentioned already, the foremost task of the holy angels is the praise of God, and they serve in the work of God just like they serve in our salvation. The holy angels are liturgical spirits who come to serve those who will inherit their salvation, as St. Paul says. St. Paul writes about this in Hebrews. But the main purpose, according to St. Basil, is the doxology of God. Therefore, having received this 
order or this commission from the holy angels, we ought to praise and glorify God constantly. We can be working, traveling, walking, and inside of us, we can have our heart full of thanksgiving towards God. Thank God. Glory be to God. Thank, thank God for everything. When does this become possible? When a person reaches the state of theoria, or when one begins to see spiritually. To see what? When our mind, our imagination, our thoughts revolve around the works of God. We see a little flower, a tiny blossom, and this will compel us to the person of godly theoria to give glory to God, to see the hand of God all through history, through the ages, to see his hand, his powerful hand, uphold everything. When we see these things, we are compelled to glorify God constantly. We see this in many points of the divine liturgy. When we mention that having received the order of the holy angels, we can see this in our hymn of the cherubim. We who mystically represent the cherubim and we chant the thrice holy hymn to the life-given trinity. So we must stress that the doxology of God is a major work. It is an action that requires work. And consequently, it happens to be a virtue, and as a virtue, is rewarded from God. And this is why, because it happens to be a work. St. Cyril of Alexandria says, to glorify God is an act that saves. So we glorify God when we refer to his energies, his love, his righteousness, his providence, his government, and so on. Saint Basil states as one of his homilies on the Holy Spirit, to glorify the Spirit of God, and God generally, is to refer to the number of his attributes. God is holy, God is love, God is righteous, God is merciful. In the divine liturgy, especially of St. Basil, there is a description, a reference to the work of our salvation. Since you created man having received clay from the earth and honored him with your image, you placed him in paradise of enjoyment, but he disobeyed you, the true God, and he fell. When the fullness of time came to pass, you talked to us through your Son, through whom you created the ages, through your Son, that is. What is this long, beautiful prayer that the priest prays during the divine liturgy of St. Basil? We just mentioned a small section here, but this is a narration, a narrative of, uh, that explains God's holy compensation, his holy economy, and all this glorifies God. When we refer to God's works, when we relate and speak about his works, we glorify him. God is also glorified by the sanctified life of a Christian. Christ said, so they can see your good works and they will glorify your Father in heaven. Origen says, God is glorified through the fragrance of the life of the righteous fragrant life of the righteous. A beautiful spiritual life glorifies God. St. Paul, in many occasions, stresses, flee immorality. Flee from immorality. Stay away from immorality. 
Therefore, glorify God with your body and with your spirit. With your body, when you keep it pure, and with your spirit, and both of these belong to God. And this is in the sixth chapter of Corinthians. Finally, another element that glorifies God is martyrdom. Martyrdom not only glorifies God, but it also happens to be the highest, the greatest gift of the Holy Spirit to the Christian faithful. And the highest form of doxology to God when we make our strong confessions about God and choose rather to die than to betray him, this makes the highest gift of the Holy Spirit once again, which is martyrdom. St. Paul writes to the Philippians, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for him. So it is a great privilege to suffer for Christ, and it constitutes a doxology for God. It glorifies God. St. Polycarp writes, if we suffer for his name, let's glorify him. This is why our martyrs and saints who were very well aware of this, they glorified God at the time of their death. What is truly amazing is that while we are called to glorify God, God reciprocates and he glorifies us in return. He glorifies those who glorify him. He glorifies those that glorify him just like he humbles and belittles those who dishonor him and ignore him. In the book of Samuel, I believe in the second chapter, we read, For those who glorify me, I will glorify, and to those who despise me, I will disregard, I will dishonor. My friends, this is a great subject in the book of Tobit, and we need to practice this and put it to to use for the rest of our Christian life, to give glory to God on every occasion. And we continue now with the final sentences of the spiritual will of Tobit. And Tobit says to his son, at every moment glorify the Lord God and ask him in your prayer that the ways of your life may become straight and that all your paths become successful because the idolaters do not have the proper mindset and only the Lord, the true God, gives all the spiritual and material goods and he humbles whomsoever he wishes. As we continue here, we see that the central theme of this second verse is prayer. The reference of all our petitions and all our concerns to God. The object of prayer, as we see here in this verse of Tobit, is the correctness of life and the success of any endeavors which we will undertake for our desires and goals to be achieved, remembering that all these values, being spiritual or material, are dependent upon God and thus are given when a man lives a pious and godly life. So prayer becomes an absolute need of men since his life is dependent on God. Whether he wants to or not, his life is dependent from God. 
And when a man tries to eliminate this dependence on God, and when someone says, I don't need God, I don't depend on him, then he lives the worst form of slavery and bondage possible. At this point, let's look into some elements of this great topic of prayer, which is a great privilege of a human being, of the humankind. Only human beings can have this privilege, and unfortunately, we do not use that enough. Today's man does not understand the great power of prayer. Naturally, only a man who has faith and a man who belongs to God knows what is the meaning of prayer. It is such a great weapon and a great privilege. Moreover, we will see that prayer forms a communion of men with God. And man never has feelings of loneliness. He never feels all alone. The man who does not pray feels an endless loneliness, even though he may have crowds of people surrounding him. Today, we live in the deserts of our contemporary cities. In the desert of the apartment complex or high rise, where 50 or 100 families may reside totally isolated and independent from each other. In some instances, people do not even greet each other, and they may pass each other every day. Or they may say a quick hi as they hurry through the elevators. Today's residential high-rises are nothing more but a contemporary desert. This was not always the case. People exercised community. They had a sense of community. Whether in a small village or a small little town, people were dependent and caring to each other. They all greeted each other. They knew each other by name. These were ideal communities. These communities and personal interaction has vanished in the large cities. And if a man has no communion with God through prayer, then he feels this endless loneliness. He feels hanging, insecure, unbalanced, and pressured with his daily problems, the problems of the daily existence, without an ally, without support, and without hope. In our times, the diseases of the soul, the psychological problems, are on the rise due to the lack of prayer. As you probably know, when someone lives in a sound community, and he is a well-adjusted member of this community, it is very rare to suffer from a psychological ailment. Today, things are very different. Today, people live with fear. They live in fear. Not the environmental or meteorological fear. People today are not just afraid of tornadoes. People are afraid about their safety, about someone breaking into their home or apartment. This is true with older people and women. Senior citizens today feel insecure and unprotected. These fears bring on anxieties and psychological ailments when these fears persist and become a reality of life. 
the decrease of prayer has brought on the increase of all these psychological ailments and anxieties. Not only this, but when we pray, we lean on God. We have our hope in his providence. Our faith in God eliminates our fears. As David tells us in his 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, and even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So prayer gives a father, a Godfather, a father who sees it all, and a father almighty. There's nothing above him. So we can feel his power and feel secure. God listens to me and he protects me. So I have nothing to fear. What is prayer? St. John of Damascus says, prayer is the ascension of the mind towards God. To lift the mind towards God. St. John of the Latter says, prayer is the meeting and the union of man and God. To be together and united with God. This is prayer. A model of prayer we have from our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord himself. He taught us the content of prayer and the method of prayer. About the content, he told the disciples when they asked him, they asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he taught them. And consequently, he taught us to pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, this prayer is a typical prayer, a model prayer, so to speak. He also taught us the method, the place, and the time of prayer. Now, what is the meaning of prayer? To have a constant communion with God. As St. John said, the act of being together with God, to be united with God. And this is a constant union not intermittent, a union without long pauses, without a long separation. This communion takes place with a constant memory of God. The psalmist says, I remember God and I rejoiced. I felt overjoyed inside just by remembering God. By the way, let's not think that this is one of the unreachable things Actually, this is the ABC of all prayer. If we have the constant memory of God, and if we love our God, we only need to remember him, and we become full of joy, just like we become full of joy when we think of a person whom we love. We also have this communion with God when we are constantly referring to him when God is our constant reference. We do not do anything without God's opinion. I always think of God before I act. Does God want this? A person can also have the feeling of the constant presence of God. And when a person remains within the boundaries, within the area of God, then this feeling happens to be very strong to the point of tears. Feelings that bring on tears 
Now the atheist may say, I, I don't get this. Well, how can you? Since you don't believe, you're not going to get any of this. So we also pray for the glory of God. Everything must start with God and finish with God. Christ said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Everything starts from me and everything finishes with me. Naturally, Christ is outside of the Alpha and the Omega, being that the Alpha and the Omega are creative. But the beginning and the end are found in Jesus Christ. He is the creator of the Alpha, the beginning, and the Omega, the end. This is precisely why St. Paul, referring to Christ, he says, everything is from him, through him, and in him. Everything is from the Alpha, so the entire alphabet, and in him, the Omega, the entire alphabet is from Christ. In him, from him, through him, and in him. So the doxology, the praise of God, is the priority of the works of the holy angels, as we mentioned at the last session. But man is also called to participate in this work. We say in the divine liturgy, we who mystically represent the cherubim, ita cherubim mysticosi conizondes, and we sing the trisayon hymn, just like the cherubim. In the small entrance, the priest recites a prayer. Lord, allow this entrance to be an entrance of holy angels. These are truly extremely important aspects of our faith. Certainly, we cannot exhaust the subject of prayer in these few minutes. We would need a great number of hours to address this extremely important subject, just like St. Nile of Sinai, the Sinaitis, has written the so-called 153 chapters about prayer. This is extremely important, and he has some great things in those chapters, as we see, and we're saying this to show, that the, the subject of prayer is endless. So we are only attempting to paint a bleak picture to give somewhat of an idea about the super subject of prayer. The essence of prayer covers our personal needs, whether material or spiritual. We say, give us today our daily bread. We ask for our daily bread. What bread? On the first plane, the first level, this is simply our bread, something that nourishes us, necessary for our existence. However, on a higher plane, in depth, this is the bread that came down from heaven, the body of Christ, the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist, because Christ says, he who eats my body and drinks my blood will live eternally, will never die. So what is this epiusio arto, or the bread that sustains us? Not necessarily the bread that we get from the fields, because this bread can only sustain us for a few days. But the heavenly bread can sustain us forever. So as we can see, we are looking to cover our bodily, material, and spiritual needs. We also pray to thank God for everything that he gives to us. And we also pray to ask him to fulfill our needs. 
let's be careful to never forget to thank God. Did we ask him for something? If we received it, let's thank him for it. If we did not receive it, if he did not give it to us, let's thank him anyway as well because God in his great wisdom saw that this request was not in our best interest. We also pray to express our repentance. We pray and say, Lord, forgive me. I did this sin. Please forgive me. Do not punish me. You are righteous. Show me your goodness and help me to avoid falling into the same sin over and over again. We also pray for the various needs of our neighbors. We pray for our other brothers and sisters, for the living and the dead. People have so many problems today. But we also pray for those that fell asleep, whether our parents or grandparents or relatives, friends, we pray that God gives them rest. We also pray for the people of God. The people of God are not necessarily the citizens of a certain country, but the Orthodox Christians everywhere in the world, our Orthodox brothers and sisters, whether they may be in Alaska or in the South Pole or in Australia or everywhere. These are the people of God, the Orthodox Christians. But we also pray for our country, especially in these difficult days that we live in. Samuel, the last judge of Israel, used to say, I hope that I never sin against the Lord by abandoning you and neglecting to pray for you. Do we see this? And Aristides, the apologist, says, the world is held together by the prayers of the Christians. The world exists because Christians exist. About the method of prayer, it can be individual or congregational. There are some privileges to the individual or personal prayer because a person can pour his heart and soul out to the Lord. But the congregational or the church prayer is like having numerous hands to complete a task. When this body of Christians prays together in church, this prayer has tremendous power. When we all get together to pray about a certain concern, it breaks, it brings the mercy of God in our daily lives. It solves the most difficult problems that face mankind. God loves this team prayer, and he answers us very quickly. About the place of prayer, St. Paul says, pray everywhere. However, we have our special room, as our Lord told us. There is no contradiction here. We can pray everywhere, but we can also have our special prayer room, a small quiet room in the house. But this room can be, a, can be found especially in our heart, in the man's heart, the inside man. You can be in the prayer room of your soul while traveling on a train or by car or by plane. And inside the room of your soul, we find Jacob's ladder. 
Jacob's ladder is to be found according to St. Isaac the Syrian to climb all the way to heaven. And about the time of prayer, St. Paul once again tells us, pray incessantly without stopping. However, we must also have our scheduled prayers, especially in the morning and in the evening. The wisdom of Solomon says about morning prayer, before the sun comes up, let's pray and glorify God before the sun comes up. Pray before sunrise. We must also add that we need to pray at mealtime. Our Lord bless the five loaves of bread and the fish. And St. John the Chrysostom says, the table of a family that prays before and after a meal will never be empty. It's a habit for some people to pray before the meal, but sometimes we forget to pray after the meal, and this is something that we need to watch for. St. Paul writes to the Corinthians, whether you eat or drink, or no matter what you do, you must do it for the glory of God. So when prayer is absent during meals, people turn into idolaters. Why? Because a person throws himself into his food, in other words, into the creation while ignoring the creator. Remember when we read that God will despise those who ignore him. So when we forget to give thanks to God, we become dark beings, like animals. So a person begins to be an idolater just by forgetting to give thanks to God for this meal that a person is about to receive. Good prayer takes place with humility, with watchfulness, with participation of heart, with understanding, to understand and feel the very things that we say with sorrow, with warmth, with persistence, with tears, with kneeling. This is good prayer. The fruitful prayer, the prayer that generally makes men into a man with capital M because he's the only being who can pray. He becomes not only a real man, but one with God. So as we can see, we are looking to cover our bodily, material, and spiritual needs. We also pray to thank God for everything that he gives to us. And we also pray to ask him to fulfill our needs. Let's be careful to never forget to thank God. You know, we ask him for something. If we received it, let's thank him for it. If we did not receive it, if he did not give it to us, let's thank him anyway as well because God in his great wisdom saw that this request was not in our best interest. We also pray to express our repentance. We pray and say, Lord, forgive me. I did this sin. 
Please forgive me. Do not punish me. You are righteous. Show me your goodness and help me to avoid falling into the same sin over and over again. We also pray for the various needs of our neighbors. We pray for our other brothers and sisters, for the living and the dead. People have so many problems today. But we also pray for those that fell asleep, whether our parents or grandparents or relatives, friends, we pray that God gives them rest. We also pray for the people of God. The people of God are not necessarily the citizens of a certain country, but the Orthodox Christians everywhere in the world, our Orthodox brothers and sisters, whether they may be in Alaska or in the South Pole or in Australia or everywhere. These are the people of God, the Orthodox Christians. But we also pray for our country, especially in these difficult days that we live in. Samuel, the last judge of Israel, used to say, I hope that I never sin against the Lord by abandoning you and neglecting to pray for you. Do we see this? And Aristides, the apologist, says, the world is held together by the prayers of the Christians. The world exists because Christians exist. About the method of prayer, it can be individual or congregational. There are some privileges to the individual or personal prayer because a person can pour his heart and soul out to the Lord. But the congregational or the church prayer is like having numerous hands to complete a task. When this body of Christians prays together in church, this prayer has tremendous power. When we all get together to pray about a certain concern, it breaks, it brings the mercy of God in our daily lives. It solves the most difficult problems that face mankind. God loves this team prayer, and he answers us very quickly. About the place of prayer, St. Paul says, pray everywhere. However, we have our special room, as our Lord told us. There is no contradiction here. We can pray everywhere, but we can also have our special prayer room, a small quiet room in the house. But this room can be, a, can be found especially in our heart, in the man's heart, the inside man. You can be in the prayer room of your soul while traveling on a train or by car or by plane. And inside the room of your soul, we find Jacob's ladder. Jacob's ladder is to be found according to St. Isaac the Syrian to climb all the way to heaven. And about the time of prayer, St. Paul once again tells us, pray incessantly without stopping. However, we must also have our scheduled prayers, especially in the morning and in the evening. The wisdom of Solomon says about morning prayer, before the sun comes up, 
Let's pray and glorify God before the sun comes up. Pray before sunrise. We must also add that we need to pray at mealtime. Our Lord blessed the five loaves of bread and the fish. And St. John the Chrysostom says, the table of a family that prays before and after a meal will never be empty. It's a habit for some people to pray before the meal, but sometimes we forget to pray after the meal, and this is something that we need to watch for. St. Paul writes to the Corinthians, whether you eat or drink, or no matter what you do, you must do it for the glory of God. So when prayer is absent during meals, people turn into idolaters. Why? Because a person throws himself into his food, in other words, into the creation while ignoring the creator. Remember when we read that God will despise those who ignore him. So when we forget to give thanks to God, we become dark beings, like animals. So a person begins to be an idolater just by forgetting to give thanks to God for this meal that a person is about to receive. Good prayer takes place with humility, with watchfulness, with participation of heart, with understanding, to understand and feel the very things that we say with sorrow, with warmth, with persistence, with tears, with kneeling. This is good prayer. The fruitful prayer, the prayer that generally makes men into a man with capital M because he's the only being who can pray. He becomes not only a real man, but one with God. 